What first comes to mind when you think about entrepreneurship? Your answer hinges on where you live in the world, how the local, state, and national economies function, and even how the culture views business ownership. In a formal economy, as in most of Canada, entrepreneurs are beholden to multiple institutions, whether governments and business associations or universities and other institutions that shape how business is done. However, in an informal economy, often found in developing nations, but also in pockets in more affluent countries, entrepreneurs and their businesses answer to different criteria, because their institutions differ and may be less, well, formal. Being an entrepreneur, running a business, and making that business grow might depend more on your community or your extended family than on your bank or professional association. Welcome to the Delve Podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Robin Fadden. In this episode, I talk with Desotel Professor Robert Nason about informal economies and institutions, including what has been missed in how we think about entrepreneurial growth in these informal economies. In Nason's research paper, Far From Void, How Institutions Shape Growth in the Informal Economy, he and his co-authors see informal economies as institutional interfaces built of bits and pieces from market and non-market institutions. How these interfaces are arranged influences concepts of entrepreneurship and of growth. Welcome to the Delve Podcast, Professor Nason. Thank you so much. It's great to be here with you. When most people think about informal economies, we might think about cash-only marketplaces or underground economic activity, but that's not necessarily the case. Could we start by defining the informal economy in terms of what you're looking at in your research? It's a great question because there's a few different ways to do it. In this paper, the approach we take is a kind of definition that informal economy is economic activity with the absence of legal or state regulatory institutions. So you can think of it as kind of unregistered business activity. Another kind of definition that's often used is that it's economic activity that's often kind of socially acceptable, like that we all kind of understand, appreciate, even if it's still technically illegal. We're not talking about, in this case, like what others would call the renegade economy or the kind of dark and disturbing economic activity like the mafia and those kind of things. Uh, In our case, we're also situating it more narrowly within low-income contexts and contexts of poverty. But the informal economy exists everywhere. So here, you know, if you uh, redo your bathroom and pay your contractors cash, you know, you're participating in the informal economy. But it's most prevalent in in low-income countries where you have individuals who might even prefer to get a job, a stable job somewhere else but go into entrepreneurship as a way to provide for their family and just end up selling simple wares that they make or a whole range of activities, though. Who are the main players and entrepreneurs in these informal economies? We often think of them as those that go out and and start a business, often with little money and, and few resources. You know, they don't necessarily go through the hurdles of registering their business, raising money. Frankly, the way we often teach entrepreneurship around this kind of uh, formal path, it it looks very different in the informal economy. You don't have raising capital in the same way, though you still have a big influence on uh, friends and family and your own personal resources you can get together. But it's often more kind of limited resources. And it's more of trying to get by and and create something new. And out of that, you do see still quite a bit of innovation, uh, uh, quite a bit of kind of going about and doing new things. But in general, there's not one type of entrepreneur. There's also not one type of informal economy entrepreneurs. 
So some end up developing quite sophisticated businesses, even technology-oriented businesses. Others, it's what we might think of, you know, when you go on vacation to a developing economy and we, you go to the night markets or something with people selling their, their wares and goods. Those are almost all entirely informal economy or, or people kind of trading on the streets. You know, this research for us is very much inspired by work that uh, Joel, my co-author, and I have been doing in uh, South Africa and in partnership with this amazing nonprofit Sustainable Livelihoods Foundation in Cape Town. And they're the ones that really helped open our eyes to how entrepreneurship activities plays out in the townships there that's kind of the the main focus and so that was part of the that was part of the inspiration and there where you see entrepreneurships of all uh, stripes and backgrounds running kind of small convenience stores that they call spaza shops running uh, sometimes quite sophisticated but informal bars or, or nightclubs uh, or those that are just distributing wholesale goods and services and or that are kind of manufacturers for auto parts or bikes or that kind of thing. So, I mean, it really runs the gamuts of they don't necessarily fit into the traditional standard industrialized codes of uh, how we would categorize businesses here, but certainly all kinds of sectors and all kinds of different types. So in terms of networks, there are family businesses supporting each other, and there are also certain NGOs in place that connect entrepreneurs, but it's quite different from traditional Western economic institutions that connect and regulate businesses. Your paper's title, Far From Void, alludes to how these informal economies are nevertheless measured against traditional economies that have formal institutional systems in place. So what Far From Void is doing is kind of reacting to the dominant approach to how the literature treats informal economies. And what we argue is that, again, there's been this kind of emphasis on state legal market institutions. And basically, what it's been set up is kind of taking this inherent comparative approach that like, we know what entrepreneurship looks like in the West. This is what it looks like. If we go into another country and look at how it is there, they don't have a lot of the same things that we have. So they don't have the, you know, the well-developed market institutions, the kind of state and regulatory institutions. And so they've been characterized as voids. So meaning it's an institutional void because those things that we see as undergirding our economic activity don't exist there. And because of that, that comparative approach have said those are institutional voids. Institutional voids in the academic literature has become essentially an academic euphemism for what Donald Trump called shithole countries. So that basically it's become a way a rather disparaging characterization of a different way of doing things, a different institutional environment. And so... What we're saying in this paper is that our, most of our literature, especially international business, characterizes these places of being void because they don't have market and, and, and legal institutions, but that's because you don't really understand what's happening there. That word institutions could mean many things. Typically, in a Western capitalist sense, it's interpreted through an economic and political lens. Your research incorporates a sociological view of institutions. Could you outline what that is? Well, I'll give you the kind of academic definition that we use and uh, and then some examples too. For us, shifting away from this kind of economic and political in interpretation of institutions that's quite narrow to a broader sociological view of institutions. We, we use a, a well-known definition from Scott that defines institutions as regulative, normative, cultural, cognitive elements that together with associated activities and resources provides stability and meaning to social life. So what 
one of those things that kind of define the taken for granted norms of behavior in, in life. In terms of kind of specific institutions, you know, rather than just the state or the or the market, we talk about institutions like the family, institutions like uh, religion, institutions like your local community that have you know norms and ways of behaving and operating, and that people just kind of implicitly understand to be true and that guides their behavior. And it kind of guides their behavior and how they engage with each other. And importantly, uh, it guides their behavior and how they undertake economic activity, how they do entrepreneurship. And that's the piece we're trying to connect. It also sounds like a rethinking of what institutions are and how they function differently in different places or economies. When we shift the way we think about institutions, so rather than purely this kind of economics and political lens of viewing what is an institution, if we view institutions more broadly from a sociological lens and understand the kind of cultural institutions that exist, things like family, community, religion, all of these non-market institutions, when you start to understand the role that they play in a society, you realize that these places are not void at all. They're very rich and vibrant in terms of the institutional arrangements. They're just different from the ones that we have. And they're different, especially in the way that they influence economic activity. What we called it is that the kind of current approach is this absence-based approach, that basically you're defining something by the absence of what exists. So they don't have these certain type of Western institutions. Therefore, it's a void. And therefore, we don't find growth uh, there. Uh, we, we don't find the growth that we're looking for. What we say is, is try to develop this presence-based approach of saying, no, let's take seriously and understand the informal economy uh, on its own terms, uh, understand the institutions that do exist there, and then you will see the different kind of growth that they have. And so it's shifting kind of the nature, the kind of institutions that you're looking at. And then that then leads you to to realize that growth occurs in different ways. And there might actually, and often is, growth that's occurring. It's just in less visible ways and in ways that are less familiar to, to us as we typically study it. The area you're studying is highly interdisciplinary. You can't study the management side of entrepreneurship and institutions without looking at broader social and cultural contexts, such as what influences entrepreneurship styles and even the politics that might undergird business development, informal or otherwise. We focus on the informal economy in context of poverty, but there's lessons back for us, too. We have lots of economic activity that's shaped by cultural institutions in kind of in the arts so, or in, in music and entertainment and in all kinds of things. And, and I think what's considered legitimate, what's considered cool, what's considered uh, acceptable or not, those are often shaped very much uh, by our kind of cultural institutions. And that has bearing on, on the economic activity. And so I think that, you know, I think we can learn something then from understanding informal economy in, in that context. And I think it shapes also the way, even as far as, you know, what is considered rational or what is the kind of strategic practices that, that should be undertaken. I mean, the literature characterizes you know, much of entrepreneurship, economic activity in context of poverty as being relatively irrational, meaning, you know, you don't see high levels of strategic differentiation. You'll have sellers selling the same product right next to each other for exactly the same price and not trying to, you know, vary it in some way. There's been emphasis on entrepreneurs that kind of mimic others. They just copy and don't kind of do, do their own thing. The overall picture is, you know, strategically kind of deficient and, and a rather disparaging picture. And even going so far as to call it kind of irrational. What seems rational and profitable in the informal economy would seem irrational and without growth potential when measured using a formal Western economic system. 
This is based on a false sense of kind of economic rationality, that that's how man is and you should be kind of optimizing for some kind of economic performance when a lot of people in all walks of life don't operate that way. I mean, we just we don't. In general, I think even in our privileged positions here in Canada, you see a lot of heterogeneity in terms of the decisions people make. I think especially and importantly, when you look in context of poverty, is a lack of understanding the institutional environment. And I, I mean, who am I to say if I was in that, how I would act and what I would consider to be rational if I truly understand that different environment that I'm in? Really, we're trying to bridge that kind of individual level of what does it mean to be strategic or rational in some ways with the with you have to understand the macro environment and and context in which individuals are living in order to make those kind of assessments what is currently missing in the current understanding about entrepreneurship and how business growth is thought about i think what's missing is a appreciation understanding for the variety of ways in which growth occurs so because we, we've taken this approach of a baseline of we understand in some ways how, how growth occurs in, in Western developed settings, then we're looking for that same type of growth when we go to a kind of informal context of poverty and we don't find it. Therefore, it doesn't exist. What we say is that, well, no, there's different ways uh, that, that growth can occur and we need to understand more diversity around that. So what, what we kind of propose in the papers three different types of growth, and I'm sure there's there's more that I think have been missing and that come to light if you factor in some of the non-market institutions that exist or the, or the relationship between uh, market and non-market institutions. So the first is, the, is a kind of more traditional type of firm, scaling up a firm, which we call direct growth. The other would we call dispersed growth. There it's, it's what we might think of as kind of like a a micro diversification strategy. So an individual entrepreneur who starts lots of different businesses. Uh, and so they have kind of a range of things. And often, again, I mean, it, it, informal. So it's not like, you know, a bunch of formally registered businesses. But, you know, we might think of this as like side hustles or a, a side project or something that you kind of try out for a little bit and it may not last or, or it might have some continuity or you're just earning income from multiple sources. That dispersed growth is a, a model that exists. And a, a good friend of ours has written about you know research that he did in, in Kenya uh, where he talks about the kind of hustler mindset of like lots of people and many with you know full-time jobs, even middle-class jobs are still doing all kinds of side hustles, a chicken farm here, a kind of consultancy here. Uh, it's just part of the kind of mentality and energy vibrancy of what, you know, economic activity looks like. And of course, much of that is kind of informally structured. So I think once you start to incorporate that, you see a broader range of economic activity that's existing. And then the last is what we call disguised growth. This is growth that is intentionally concealed in some way. You know, I think traditionally it's been intentionally because you don't want to, you know, get the catch the eye of the, the tax man or, or government, right? We've seen it's often driven by non-market institutions as well, is that there's kind of can be strong, sometimes collectivist norms that people are quite skeptical of those that are doing well. Again, if from the kind of developed Western standpoint, we, you know, entrepreneurs are pretty valorized <laughs> and lauded, right? And and we see these great successes as as something that's worthy of praise. But in, in, in some other contexts, it's not necessarily the case. The NGO we're working with, they kind of talked about this and, and shared with us about 
what they called fronting of businesses that um, are intentionally kind of shabby on the outside, but are really quite profitable and doing well. So the kind of back end, uh, you know, the business itself is actually super profitable, but they intentionally make themselves look kind of less performing than they are because it's more socially acceptable to be that way in the townships than to be kind of standing out. And I think this is super interesting because it's, it's basically the, the opposite of how we think of or treat entrepreneurship here. So here you have, you know, a, a college student who's starting a, a new business from their parents' you know, basement that they're never going to show you a picture of. And they build this glossy website that has all their high status contacts or whatever that overly dramatizes how successful they are in an attempt to try to conform with that meaning of what success or it means to be legitimate. And there you have the, the kind of complete opposite, even that's kind of fundamentally sound and, and bringing in a, a good, uh, a kind of consistent cash flow is presenting themselves as as being underperforming or not successful. Yes, showing the markers of success are cultural too. Are there similarly unique economic possibilities for growth in informal economies as well as social empowerment or other benefits? In the literature, again, there's a lot that's about the benefits of formalization or even research on how do we get these informal firms to formalize. And, and often the policy... Uh, assessments and government's approach have been with this kind of orientation of saying, you know, look, so it's a tax loss. These are kind of unregulated firms that are doing who knows what. And, you know, we need to figure out a way to formalize them. And often can be quite kind of stringent crackdowns as a result. We've seen our, our approach is that, well, when you take that approach, what you're doing is further marginalizing some of the already the most marginalized people in a way that it's just not productive. I think there is certainly a time and a place where informal economy, you know, maybe that disguised growth grows to a point where it should be formalized and something more nefarious is going on. I think in that the orientation should be how do we make it more compelling for entrepreneurs to formalize? How do we make it so that it's worth it for them that they realize that, look, if you formalize, then here are the benefits that come with it, right? I think that's a different, you know, more of the carrot than the than the stick approach. By and large, though, much informal economic activity might never, it might never make sense for it to become formalized, but it still plays a vital role. So statistics from Cape Town, again, where we've done work shows that informal economy reduces the poverty level by like 5%, meaning that, you know, there's 5% of people would be in poverty if it weren't for the informal economy. So it's playing this role of helping people survive and, and get by. Uh, and I think it needs to be appreciated for that. The other is that it's really kind of a sandbox for experimentation and, and entrepreneurial activity. And some of these businesses that start out super informal will grow into very successful businesses that can create jobs, have an impact change people's lives. And, and I think it can be viewed more in that way as kind of an incubator of sorts, even, um, you know, allowing this experimentation to to exist and, um, and and kind of then finding ways to support the viable and kind of higher growth and potential economic activity coming out of it, it to, to grow further. That is the kind of way that informal economy can be approached, I think, a little bit differently, helped along to, uh, to kind of have a productive impact. What can be learned about entrepreneurship from your findings? 
There's a number of things. One, what's the the role that non-market institutions play on economic activity? And I think we we try to draw attention to that in the informal economy, but as I said, plays a vital role in many industries like uh, creative industries, cultural industries here. I think in some ways you see a growing sense of that as there's a bit of a kind of cultural reckoning around some of the, the, the negative impacts of an unfettered capitalism. You, you see that amongst the next generation of students, amongst many that are kind of becoming disillusioned with, okay, well, growth at all costs, or, you know, what's the point, or recognizing a lot of the damage that happens. And I think there you see then this pushback from kind of cultural institutions saying, no, maybe we need to shape and channel our economic activity in a way that matches or aligns with important non, non-market institutions as well, not just the kind of market dominating and infusing everything. And so I think a kind of call for more balance. I think, I think that's something you can learn and see in the informal economy. I think you can see what happens when institutions kind of clash and, and collide as well. This kind of experimental approach to entrepreneurship that you see in the informal economy, sometimes by necessity, is really in many ways what we're starting to even teach now. And I think is good to do more of a, of a kind of best practice for entrepreneurial process of rather than raising a ton of money to build the best perfect product and then release it to the market and see what happens, which you see this in the informal economy, you know, starting with limited resources, a lot of trial and error and experimentation until you get something that kind of has some momentum and, and, and grows and, and you can kind of scale it up from there. You know, we might say, you know, minimum viable product by necessity. You see that in the informal economy. People are doing all kinds of innovative things using, you know, resources that they have for ways that are not at all how it's intended, you know, just kind of trying to create something new. And a lot of innovative stuff comes out of that. And I think that mentality, that approach, that entrepreneurial process is something that we can learn a lot from and try to implement as well. What can be learned from informal economies in terms of organization and leadership? I think what I would say more broadly is that I think there just needs to be a different understanding and appreciation for the more diverse institutional environments in which organizations are situated. I think we hone in on the informal economy as a kind of unique institutional environment. And, you know, part of what we're pointing out is that informal economies are very heterogeneous. So rather than thinking in this kind of monolith of what does it mean to be, you know, an organization in, in the market, uh, understanding that markets take different shapes and sizes, and it's and you have to appreciate those differences in order to understand how those organizations compete, how how to lead people in those contexts, what's going to motivate them, what's going to kind of resonate with people. Understanding that those environments is really imperative. What we need is a more decolonizing approach that's getting away from kind of imposing our implicit biases and assumptions on other places and understanding them on their own terms. To me, that means less intervention as well, more of just kind of understanding and unpacking the dynamics. That's what we kind of try to do here. And I think through that, you'll have a better appreciation for what organizations and people need to grow and succeed and thrive along whatever dimensions they they find most important. As Professor Nason points out, there is much to be learned about economics, entrepreneurship, and business ecosystems through the study of informal economies and the institutions that influence them. 
His research suggests that Western economies could augment their approach to business and entrepreneurship with a deeper understanding of the informal economy. The outcome might lead to new concepts of economic growth that take into account and actually benefit groups and individuals who have been less visible or underrepresented in Western formal economies. Our guest today on the Delve podcast was Desotel Faculty of Management Professor Robert Nason discussing his research on informal economies and entrepreneurship, as outlined in his recent paper, Far From Void, How Institutions Shape Growth in the Informal Economy. You can find out more about that research in an article at delve.mcgill.ca. Thank you for listening to the Delve podcast, produced by Delve, the thought leadership platform of the Desotel Faculty of Management at McGill University. You can follow Delve McGill on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to the Delve McGill podcast on your favorite podcasting app.